to the Word tonight. What I wanted to do, let's turn to the book of Genesis, and we're at chapter 12, but what I want to do, before we get into chapter 12, I want to recap what we've already covered, and then touch on chapter 12 tonight, because we are at a a watershed moment in the book of Genesis. You remember me telling you at the beginning of the series that reading Genesis is like taking off in a jet. When we take off in a jet, you remember the, the metaphor, the analogy? Everything is shooting by quickly. Zoom, zoom, zoom. Everything is going by fast. But then as you climb and get up there at about 30,000 feet, it looks like everything is just cruising by slow. You even wonder if you're moving. You feel like you're floating until you start to land again. And then when you reach a certain level, zoom, 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 they go by again. Well, when you take off in the book of Genesis, we're going through four epical events, four defining moment events in the life of mankind, in the history of mankind, that are huge, but they zip past us. And then when we get into chapter 12 and start looking at the lives of the patriarchs, it goes slow. God pulls in tighter. He spends way more time on personalities, family stories, family histories, events, dramas, and it seems to go by much more slowly. And so that's where we're at tonight. We're at 30,000 feet, and we're about to to dive into these personalities. So what I want to do is I want to recap. So let's stand together, and let's just read... The first four verses of chapter 12, and then you can be seated the rest of the time. Here we go. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And of course, the implication is no way that's going to happen unless through Abraham's lineage came the Messiah. And it's through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that all the nations of the earth are blessed. Now let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Open our hearts and understanding to it. Thank you for the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. Thank you, Lord, for everything you have shown us. And now open your word that we may behold wondrous things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you. You can be seated. Let's recap. And I did a lot of typing today. And so let's, uh, let's just look at this. And I hope you can read it. Is that focused pretty good? Say yay or nay. It's good? Yay, yay. Any nays? Okay. Here's a recap. Genesis means origin, source, birth. The whole thing is set when it says, in the beginning, God. Ha! Isn't that powerful? Now, Genesis is the seed plot. It's the seed ground of the entire Bible. It enters the very structure of the New Testament in which it is quoted about 60 times. Genesis is quoted 60 times in the New Testament in 17 books. 
its diving revelation and the fact that Moses is the author is authenticated by the testimony of Jesus. Look at John 7, 19. Did not Moses give you, and this is Jesus talking, did not Moses give you the law? And yet n- none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? So there and in many other places, I just wanted to use one, Jesus authenticated Moses. Now Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the what? Pentateuch. The five books of Moses is what it's called, the Pentateuch. Uh, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by what of God? Inspiration. Theonoustos is the Greek word. In other words, it's breathed out by God. It was breathed out by God. Moses was moved along by the Holy Spirit as he wrote, and it is one of the most profound things you can read in the book of Genesis, thinking that Moses was out there in the wilderness, carrying a million people to the promised land, and there under the stars, God began to move on him, and he wrote the Pentateuch. Don't know how long it took. He was in the wilderness long enough to do it. And so it helps to keep that in mind, because Who did he have in mind? Do you think he thought we would be sitting here in the 21st century reading this? Uh Uh-uh. I don't think he did. Who was he writing it to? He was thinking, I think, that he was writing it to these people who were headed to the promised land. He's wanting to give them an understanding of the God they were following and of their origins. So he's moved along by the Holy Ghost. Genesis tells us of the beginning of everything except God. Why? Because God has no beginning. Here's some of the beginnings in Genesis. The beginning of the created world. The beginning of man and woman. The beginning of sin. The beginning of the promise of redemption. Genesis 3.15, sort of the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. The beginning of family life is in Genesis. The beginning of civilization is in Genesis. We talked last week about the beginning of nations, chapters 10 and 11. And the beginning of a chosen people, which is where we're at tonight. We're coming to the beginning of a chosen people through which God planned to bring forth his promise in Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15 I'm going to raise someone up from the seed of the woman that's going to bruise your head, devil. In Genesis 12, God begins bringing forth the nation, the people, through whom Messiah will come. And he begins with Abram. Now let's look at the structure of Genesis. The first part, chapters 1 through 11. That's what we've covered in the last, I don't know, 12 weeks or so. So much for my through Genesis in eight weeks. <laughs> Oh, Kathy knew me well there. Now, the first part covers four major events. Can you say them with me? The creation. Now, these are the epical events. This is what you zip, 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 right past these major events. The creation, chapters 1 and 2. Number 2, the fall of man, chapters 3 and 4. The third one, the flood. And then finally, the Babel crisis. Now those are the four major events that Genesis 1 through 11 covers. And then we come to the second part, chapters 12 through 50. The second part covers four 
not major events, but outstanding persons. Abraham, the man of faith that we're going to look at tonight, a little bit. Isaac, the beloved son. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel after he wrestled with the angel. And then finally, Joseph, the life of suffering and the life of glory, as others have put it, from pit to pinnacle. That was Joseph. So, we have four major events and four outstanding persons. We've covered the major events. Let me recap them just one more time. Now, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Let me turn this off so you don't read ahead. Some of you read ahead and don't even listen to me. I'm going to throw you a curveball. I shared with you one of the possibilities of the creation. That is, that the earth was created out of nothing, ex nihilo, ex nihilo, out of nothing, the Latin for out of nothing, from nothing, ex nihilo. And um, that when God said, let there be light and let there be this and that and the other, when he was dealing with the mass that, w- that was without form and void, that he created the whole thing for the very first time, which would make our world about five to 7,000 years old. I shared with you that approach. Now, I'm duty-bound, if I'm going to teach you the best I know how, to show you a second uh, way of viewing the creation. And I'm going to, here comes, I'm going to sneak one up on you. I think this holds a lot of water. Because I've always wondered, what about the dinosaurs? I grew up playing with brontosaurus, triceratops, stegosaurus. All, I loved the dinosaurs. I had all of them, models in my room, dinosaurs, and made them eat each other and all that. I mean, I knew the dinosaurs. Now, let's look at this, and I'm going to go slow. The creation, chapters 1 and 2. This is not a human theory in Scripture, but a divine testimony. There is no definition of God. He just is there. In the beginning, God. No description of creation, just a telling of how it came about from God. There's no declaration of dates. It is a declaration, say it with me, it's a declaration of divine truth. We've got we to start with that truth. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, a big bang. Not something came out of nothing all on its own. That is impossible. So, accept the first sentence in Scripture, and there's little difficulty in accepting all of God's Word. Because the beginning of the Bible, you either accept it or you don't. God was in the beginning. Now, the time space between verse 1 and verse 2, follow carefully, the time space between verse 1 and verse 2, and let me just, for your sakes, read it quickly. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. There's verse 1. And then verse 2 gives us an earth without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. Now keep those two in mind and just read with me. The time space between verse 1 and verse 2 is unknown. We don't know how long, how much time went by between in the beginning God created and when we discover the earth without form and void. We don't know how much time was between those two. All right? But it does leave room for all the geologic eras. 
Verse 2 should read, the earth became without form and void. The earth became without form and void. The same word used here is also used in chapter 2, verse 7, when it says man became living. Until God breathed into him the breath of life, he was not a living soul, he was just created. But then God breathed the breath of life into him, and he became a living soul. Now, here's where those who propound this, this particular outlook on the creation, here's where they're going with it. I'm going to make it real simple for you. The time space between verse 1 and verse 2 is unknown. Verse 2 should read, the earth became. When did it become without form and void? In other words, chaotic. When did it become chaotic? It became chaotic when Lucifer, who ruled a pre-Adam world. Follow me. Lucifer ruled a pre-Adam, pre-human world. Pastor Jeff, this is stretching my mind. Stop and think a minute. Here's Eve. Adam and Eve have just been created. There's no chilling yet. There's no nothing yet. And a creature approaches her called the devil. He's not the glorious archangel Lucifer showing forth the glory of God, obeying God. He's a fallen, judged, condemned, anti-God, against God being who wants nothing more than to pull down, tear down, and destroy what God loves. When we first meet him, we don't meet him as Lucifer. The first time we meet him, he's fallen, right? When did that happen? Pastor Jeff, I I just don't know. I don't either. But I'm going to tell you, we we got to, now follow me here. It happened before Adam and Eve. When did it happen? Those who say that the earth is way older than five to seven thousand years and that there was a world before it says God created the heavens and the earth, what they teach, and I think it can hold water, I really do, is that when God spent six days creating He was renovating the world that had already been and experienced chaos when Lucifer said, I will be like God. And he ascended into the heavens according to the prophets. Ezekiel talked about it. Isaiah talked about it. And God judged him and cast him down to the earth. And we are told in the Bible that a third of the angelic beings of the angels of God, the angelos of God, rebelled with him. So that which had been angels became demons, and that which had been Lucifer, the archangel, with Michael and Gabriel, literally his name meant the light bearer, they were judged and cast to the earth, and the earth that they had occupied before Adam and Eve, before the creation were given in Genesis, came into chaos because of God's judgment on them. 
I know you've got to let this sink in a little bit. But, I, but think with me now. This isn't bizarre. This makes a lot of sense. Let's just say that the dinosaurs, Triceratops, Brontosaurus, Tyrannosaurus, Rex, Pterodactyls, all the things we read about, let's just say that they were there back then in the world Lucifer was a part of before he rebelled. Wouldn't that explain the immediate and sudden extinction of all of them? And wouldn't that explain the Ice Age? Wouldn't that explain why even carbon dating tells us that there was a sudden, a sudden extinction of all these creatures? Now, am I saying definitively this is it? No, but I'm, I'm bound to tell you the two strongest uh, uh, ways to view the creation. And I think this holds water. I do. I don't have any problem with it, because Lucifer was judged sometime. O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou fallen from heaven? The prophet said. Now, if that's the way that it happened, then God came along after the earth, in verse 2, was without form and void, and that means in the Hebrew language, chaotic, chaotic. When God began to create then, what he was doing was recreating or renovating a world that had been hugely damaged by the judgment of the devil. Now, don't go out here and say, that's what Pastor Jeff taught for sure, but I think it holds water. And you know what? You'll find good people on either side, what I taught you the first time or what I'm teaching you now. You'll find good people on both sides. So you know what? But if everyone makes you happy, you're still saved. Everybody with me? Are you with me? <laughs> you're here, that's about it. <laughs> I understand. It's, now look at this. So, number three, the six days in chapter one do not record the original creation for what happened in verse one. The six days give an account of a new beginning or a recreation. Number four, we are the crown of his creation. However it happened, when he made man, when he made human beings, we're the crown of his creation. Man was created in the image, which means the representation or the resemblance, and likeness, which means character or model of God. God breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. We are then... What we are is we are made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. We are body, soul, and spirit. That is supported in the New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole, read it with me, spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as God is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we are body, soul, and spirit. We are three parts. And then finally, the seventh day, God rested. Now we come to the fall of man, the tempting. Remember when we taught on that? In verse 1, Satan casts the first recorded doubt on God's word. That's his first attack method at Eve. Has God said? And it's his first one with you. Verse 4 records the first lie. And verse 5, the first appeal to pride. 
Satan succeeded in capturing the ear, the eye, and the inward desire of Eve. And that coincides with what John said in 1 John 2, 16. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. Pride of life means you're self-sufficient. Pride of life means you have an attitude, I don't need God. I can make it on my own. I don't need God. I'm self-sufficient. I'm smart, talented, whatever. I don't need God. I can make my own money, make my own way, figure out my own need, figure out my own direction. That's the pride of life. And it's of the world, and it does not proceed from the Father. What proceeds from the, from the Father is the attitude, I need you. That's from the Father. I need you. So Eve fell, the yielding. Romans 5.12 says, here's what happened when Adam and Eve yielded. Therefore, just as through one man, sin came into the world. And with that sin came death. And death spread to how many men? All men. Because what? All sin. Has everybody sinned? And we sin in two ways. We're born in sin. We're guilty by association. We're guilty... I know I talk a lot about my dog. And you're not going to like this story very much. I don't like it either. It disturbed me. But it happened. My little terrier was out back. And I noticed my little terrier had something on the ground and was, I'm going to say it, chewing. And I thought, oh, well, you know, probably a stick or whatever. And so I didn't do anything. And I went out there later. And my dog knows when he does something. Maybe God's telling me not to tell this story. (laughs) My dog seems to know when I'm not going to like something because he won't look at me. He'll cower away. And you know what? We're the same way. When he knows that he's right with me, he'll come bounding up to me, walk in the door, jump on my legs, want me to hold him. But when he's done something wrong, he hides. Well, I walked out there, and I noticed him slinking. I said, Ollie? He turned around, looked at me like, what's the matter, boss? But you know what? A feather was sticking out of his mouth. And he didn't know it. I didn't do anything. (laughs) Now, you know what, folks? All of us have a feather sticking out of our mouth. All of us. And you can hide from God, but when he finally gets you to turn around, there it is. Because all have sinned. Remember those cartoons, Tweety Bird and the cat, Sylvester the cat? And don't you remember how all the time Sylvester would be caught with a feather sticking out of it? I remembered that cartoon when I looked at Ollie. I said, Ollie, you're busted. But he didn't know. There it was. And I'm telling you, folks, it's a great day when you realize there's a feather sticking out of your mouth. Because you're not going to get saved until you realize it. Okay. Poor Ollie. I love him anyway. Now, here's the results that happened. Verse 7 through 24. Notice, now there is self-conscience. They immediately were self-conscious. Verse 7, shame and fear. They hid from God. 
There was sorrow in verse 17, cursed in verse 17, thorns in verse 18, sweat in verse 19. That's the consequences of sin. Now the grace of God is revealed. God sought out Adam. And he said, Adam, where are you? It's the same with us today. We don't find God. He finds us. He calls us, and we hear him calling our name. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And that's a great day, too, when you say, I'm here, and I've done wrong. Now, the promise of a redeemer, verse 15. And this verse, verse 15, that I keep going back to in Genesis because it's so pivotal, could be translated as follows. Let's read it together, can we? And there will be intense hatred between Satan and Christ. Eventually, Christ will crush the head of Satan, and Satan will only bruise the heel of Christ. That's how you can interpret Genesis 3.15. This is the first direct prophecy of Jesus Christ in the whole Bible, and from that moment on, folks, you can follow the silver lining, the silver thread of redemption all the way through every book Every one of the 66 books, you can follow the silver thread of redemption from this point on. Now look at the fruit of sin. Sin begins to manifest now, not just in what happened to Adam, but in his offspring. Because in chapter 4, the Cain line, the Cain lineage, or the sons of man, is what they're called when God refers to the lineage of Cain. He calls them the sons of man. The first murder takes place. And I share with you, when Abel was killed, it was the devil's attempt to stop Genesis 3.15. So what did God do? God raised up, he brought forth Seth. Seth was Adam's next son, and Seth was a spiritual seed. And the Bible follows the line of Seth very, very closely, because out of the lineage of Seth comes Jesus centuries later. Now we come to the flood. Chapters 5 through 9, the book of the generations of Adam through Seth. It follows Adam through Seth. Then in chapter 6, we see the mixing of the godly and the ungodly. That was another heavy night, wasn't it? And what was the mixing of the godly with the ungodly? The, the sons of God with the daughters of men. It was a diabolical attempt from Satan to dehumanize the human race by the mixing of angelic beings with human women. And what was he trying to do? Thwart the promise of Genesis 3.15. Because Genesis 3.15 said, from the seed of woman, I'm going to bring forth one who's going to bruise your head. Well, what if there's no more fully human women? So that's why, look at number three, judgment falls in chapter 7 as a result of the events of chapter 6, 5 through 7. God wiped the whole he, he destroyed all of life in the flood of Noah because of this diabolical mixing. And then God made his covenant with Noah. God uses the word covenant seven times in this passage. When Noah uh, 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 goes through the flood, the ship, the ark, lands on dry ground, God cut a covenant with Noah and told him, I'm never going to destroy the earth with a flood again. It's never going to happen again. And then we come to the end of that epical event, and now, the Babel crisis. Everybody say, ba 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 Babel. <laughs> Babel sounds like what it was. It was Babel. Now, the generations of the sons of Noah are, are covered in chapter 10. And then the confusion at Babel 
happens in chapter 11. And what happened? Is, uh, they said the reason for God's action was because the people refused to obey God by spreading abroad to replenish the earth. So, here's what they said. They said, let us make us a name, lest we be scattered. Now, God had said, scatter. So this was a direct rebellion against the will of God. When they said, we're not going to scatter, we're going to build a tower, and we're staying right here. It's going to reach all the way to heaven. We refuse to obey God. So when you refuse to obey God, God will see to it that you obey, and you generally don't like the way he makes you obey. Because if we don't obey him willingly, God has a whip. God has a woodshed. Been there lately? If you've been to God's woodshed, you don't want to go back. God has a woodshed. And he believes in making good use of it if you end up there. He's not mean, but no chastening for the moment seems to be joyous, but rather grievous. Chastening in the Greek language means whipping. Well, then he hadn't read Dr. Spock, Pastor Jeff. You know what? God doesn't agree with Dr. Spock. Dr. Spock raised a generation of brats. <laughs> How many of you were in it? And you found out God is not like Dr. Spock. No. Babel means confusion. It was the capital in Nimrod's kingdom. We might talk about Nimrod a little bit more later. But it was the capital in Nimrod's kingdom. And now we come to the beginning of God's outworking of the plan of redemption and the emergence of Abraham. So we've covered now the four epical events. Now we come to Abraham. Now, folks, this is so crucial, to, and, and I hope you're catching this. This is the reason I recapped. Because God, way back, gives Genesis 3.15. Then we see these epic events take place. Twice we see the devil make a major attempt to stop, to thwart the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. But it didn't work. Now when God comes to a man named Abram and calls him out of Ur of the Chaldees, that is God beginning the outworking of the plan of redemption. He's beginning now to call the man from whose descendants Messiah will come. This is God beginning to work it all out. That's what Abram is all about. He's the beginning of the Fulfillment of the promise of Genesis 3.15. His call is in chapter 12, verse 1, and Acts 7.2. Let me just read Acts 7.2 real quickly. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Acts 7.2. And um, I love the book of Acts. I'm glad to say that the acts of the Holy Spirit are not over with. Acts 7.2. Then the high priest said, Are these things so? Uh, so? And he said, brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans. It was probably what would be now modern-day Iraq. And he dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land 
in which you now dwell. And he's talking to these people and he's saying, right now where you live, in the Middle East, Jerusalem, right now, you're standing on the ground that God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees to possess. And God gave him no inheritance in it, no, not even enough to set his foot on. But when, even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage. He's talking about Egypt and oppress them 400 years. That happened in Egypt. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, and he did. And after that, they shall come out, and they did, and serve me in this place, and they did. Then he gave them, or gave him, that is Abraham, the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. And right there, we just read the four top persons in Genesis that we're going to look at, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And so there, Stephen is preaching to the people listening to him in that day, telling them, God called Abram. It all began with Abram. It all started with Abram, who later became Abraham and the father of our faith. It all began, Genesis 3.15 began to be worked out with Abram. And look what God promised. Now this is called the Abrahamic covenant. Can we say that together? The Abrahamic covenant. When you read Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, you're reading the Abrahamic covenant. God is cutting a covenant. Now we had the Noah covenant, and now we've got the Abrahamic covenant. Now here's the seven promises of God, and then we're going to close with this. Say them with me, would you? I will make you a great nation. Did that happen? How many people did Moses carry out of Egypt? Well over a million came out of Egypt, a nation, a nation. And then what did he say? I will bless you. How many of you want to be blessed by God? I will bless you. Now what's the third thing he promised Abraham? I will make your name great. Do you know about Abraham? Here we are on the other side of the world. We know about him. How do we know about him? Because God made his name great. You will be what, everybody? Blessed. Say with me, blessed people, blessed people. If you're blessed, you're going to bless. If you're cursed, you end up cursing people. But because he said in the second promise, I will bless you, on down he says, now you're going to be a blessing because you're blessed. How many of you want to be a blessing? Then get blessed. All right? Now, look what he says now. I will bless them that bless you. Mm. That's why you ought to turn towards Jerusalem and pray for it. That is why anytime America does anything that is counter to the well-being of the Jewish people, I get a little frightened. Because this, this promise has not gone away. I will bless them. That, don't ever curse a Jewish person. Pray for them. But be careful in cursing anyone, but particularly because those are Abraham's descendants. I will bless them who bless you. And then what did he say? I will curse them that curse you. And then here comes the Messiah. Say it with me. In you 
shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Abraham was a man of faith, and we'll read, we'll pick this up next week with Hebrews 11, 8 through 19. But I want to take you now through a recap, the four major events in Genesis, and bring us up to Abram. Because now God is pulling in tight. He's going to focus on Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Genesis ends with Joseph, my favorite Old Testament character, my favorite. And we're going to see the outworking of the plan of redemption. And it is powerful. So thank God that Abraham came under covenant. Jesus came from the descendants of Abraham through the virgin birth. And now we're all blessed because God called Abram out. Amen? So let's stand together, can we? How many of you are clear on all this tonight? Say amen. How many of you are going to go home real quick and look up that creation stuff? <laughs> oh, boy. Lord, we just thank you for Genesis 3.15, the promise that right there where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And we thank you, Lord, that even though the enemy tried to thwart the promise, you saw it through. Thank you that when you called Abram out, Lord, you began our redemption. Help us to be thankful for the incredible outworking of your plan of salvation. And we thank you that we stand tonight covered in the blood of Jesus of Nazareth, whose blood washed away our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.